Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube through video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good. This is your Threat Intel Briefing for September 4th, 2022 through September 10th, 2022. If you're watching on YouTube, I appreciate it. Make sure to leave a like, comment, and subscribe. Let me know if you enjoy the content, if you want to see something different, and that applies to the channel in general. So if you think of some ideas that you want to see, it's not just about the news or Threat Intel Briefings, so anything you want to see. Uh, and then also to uh, make sure to hit the bell icon and then that way you get notified when I release future content. If you're listening on podcasting platform, because we are available on all the major podcasting platforms, iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. And this particular episode is on cybersecurity TLDR on that show. But also make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Let me know how it's going. If you enjoy the content, if you want to see, uh, hear about something different or you know things that we can do better. And we'll definitely take a look at that and incorporate some of those good ideas. But uh, without any further delay, and uh, actually one more thing too, uh, check out the description because I will include a link to the show notes. So you can actually check out all the articles that we're talking about. We aren't going to get through all the articles. That's typically how it works just because there's a lot of news throughout the week, believe it or not. But I will include a lot of different links that you can check out as well as the ones that we actually talk about. So without further delay, uh, let's go ahead and let's go and jump into it. So the first article here is uh, Interpol dismantles sextortion ring warns of increased attacks. So transnational sextortion ring was uncovered and dismantled following a joint investigation uh, between Interpol cybercrime division and police in Singapore and Hong Kong. Interpol says that 12 suspects believed to be core members of the criminal organization were arrested in July in August, after investigators found that they asked potential victims via online sex and dating platforms to download a malicious app to engage in something called naked chats. Uh, however, their targets didn't know the app was designed to steal the content of their phones, contact lists, which the cyber criminal would use to blackmail the victims, threatening to share their nude fo- uh, videos with relatives and friends in their address books. So a couple things here, right? First of all, you know, if you're going to host a platform like this, you have to think about the kinds of things that users are going to do, what they're capable of doing, how they can interact with people, if they can report suspicious things like this. So you have to think about that and hopefully you can try to detect that. But kind of on the flip side, you know, just the ability for a law enforcement organization to identify this, right? They're able to identify who is specifically doing that. Now, I don't know if you know, But when you go on a website like Facebook or LinkedIn or something like that, right? YouTube, all of these websites take some kind of data that you're providing. So like an IP address, that's a real typical one. And they can track things back to you to a certain extent, right? Law enforcement's obviously going to have a little bit more of capability or abilities that they can use to track you, but you can get it to typically like the, the city uh, the, a lot of times the physical location, depending on what kind of information you can you know, use and that you're tracking, and obviously certain countries are restrictive of what you can take in, what you can store and all that. But you know, if you think back several, several years ago, 
you know, a lot of this capability of being able to track somebody down to, you know, the single building or the location that they're at, network drop, you know, a lot of this stuff wasn't capable. We've come so far in our ability to do things like this. And obviously this is law enforcement centric because you're not going to be, you know, working at Twitter and trying to find somebody's exact network drop and going to talk to them at like a cyber cafe or something. That's not going to happen, right? But, um, you know, it, it's pretty, pretty amazing uh, what, what can be done with a lot of this information. Uh, and then obviously, too, if you are like a you know, social media platform or some kind of other platform, you can use that information as far as, you know, this country likes this type of content. You know, kind of like what YouTube does where they, they recommend things based on what you're viewing and your locale. And that's how they, they uh, do things like paying people for the ads and, you know, how they charge things and all kinds of stuff, right? But, um, you know, really, really interesting kind of article. Next article, under pressure, security firm Cloudflare drops Kiwi Farms website. Reversing course under growing public pressure, major tech security company Cloudflare announced Saturday that it will stop protecting the Kiwi Farms website, best known as a place for stalkers to organize hacks, online campaigns, and real-world harassment. Cloudflare chief executive Matthew Prince, who, uh, who this past week published a lengthy blog post justifying the company's services, Defending websites such as Kiwi Farms told the Washington Post that he changed his mind not because of the pressure, but a surge in credible violence, violent threats stemming from the site. As Kiwi Farms has felt more threatened, they have reached, uh, reacted by being more threatening, Prince said. We think there's imminent danger and the pace at which law enforcement is able to respond to those threats we don't think is fast enough to keep up. Prince said contributors to the former posting home addresses of those seen as enemies and calling for them to be shot. So again, you know, one of those things, just like that last article, what kind of information do you allow to be stored on your website? If you're user facing, so you have end users like, you know, just whoever on the internet, right? What can they post? Because especially in that context, you know, there's going to be less uh, filter, right? For a lack of a better word, there's going to be less restraint as far as what's being posted. And we see that on all kinds of platforms that have users on them. Users will put tons of different information up. And, you know, that that's definitely something that you have to be aware of if you're hosting a website. Now, Cloudflare doesn't host a website like Kiwi Farms, right? They are more of a protection uh, for that website and other websites to prevent distributed denial of service attacks, things like that. Basically attacks where a ton of traffic is getting sent to these web servers and trying to, you know, knock them off the internet, basically, um, basically cause them to crash. So they can't, so people can't go to the website, but, and we've, we talked about Kiwi farms, uh, last week as well on the episode, but, you know, just as far as, you know, an organization as a company, you know, what kind of services are you going to offer and what are you going to stand for? Right. What are you going to say, you know, that's enough. We're not going to allow you to do that. Are you, especially in security, right? When you're offering a security service, you know, sites like that, like Kiwi Farms, they want to use services like Cloudflare, right? Like security services because they want to do things that all kinds of businesses and websites and things like that want to use. They want to protect their website and keep it up and running. And so that's just one thing that you really have to think about. You know, if you're a business owner and what are you, what are you going to stand for? You know, when is, 
when is enough going to be enough? And you're going to kind of, you know, make a decision as far as shutting down customers, obviously losing money and, or not getting money from certain customers is, you know, a downside, but you just, you have to make that decision and you have to be consistent with your decision too, right? Because if they, for instance, uh, stop protecting Kiwi farms, but then they allow something else that is very similar, you know, that's not, that's not good, right? You have to be very consistent and consistency is, is very important. So looks like they're, they're taking an actual stance here. They were kind of being passive and trying to, you know, step back, but now they're, they're making a stance, taking a stance here. The IRS says it accidentally exposed confidential uh, information involving 120,000 taxpayers. Around 120,000 taxpayers who filed a Form uh, 990-T will be hearing from the IRS in the coming weeks, telling them that the agency inadvertently exposed their information on its website. Exempted organizations, including charities, religious groups, unrelated business incomes, uh, with unrelated business incomes, are required to file Form 990-T. As the Wall Street Journal notes, though people in individual retirement accounts invested in assets that generate income such as real, uh, real estate and, uh, um, uh, sorry, that generate income such as real estate are also required to file the form. So, you know, a couple, couple groups of people that are required to fill out that, that form. Filings by exempted organizations are supposed to be public, but not those by private individuals. Exempted organizations include charities, religious groups, unrelated business income. Um, and let's see here. Yeah. And so, okay. So, you know, that's obviously a serious issue, right? We've seen all kinds of organizations that, you know, they have leaks, they have information exposed. Uh, maybe like an S3 bucket isn't secure, it's not protected. And then, you know, uh, somebody gets access to that data, right? Like it's, it's really bad. The IRS is supposed to be better than that. So if you're not familiar with what the IRS is, the IRS here in the U S they handle all of our taxes, right? That is the organization that we send in our tax forms. And you know, they, they handle all the refunds and everything like that. And so for an organization like that to make this kind of mistake, it's a serious thing, right? You know, being that it is uh, a government agency, a government organization, you know, I, I doubt somebody's going to get fired over this. I mean, in a lot of circumstances, I don't think we typically would see somebody get fired because of this. It's possible, but not a lot of times. Usually there's probably some kind of reprimand or, you know, punishment behind the scenes, but we don't see somebody get fired. But, you know, that's a serious issue if you're one of the people involved. But this is kind of the world we live in today where we see a lot of organizations trying to run so fast that they forget some of these basic things to really protect that data and think about where it's going, where it can be transferred to, where it will be displayed or downloadable. And, you know, that that's all something serious to uh, be concerned about from a business standpoint and an individual standpoint. You know, being the IRS, are they going to get fined? I, I doubt it, right? <laughs> A regular organization would definitely get fined, I'm sure, for that or, you know, get in some kind of serious trouble, but it's the government, right? So they're not, they're not going to get fined by themselves. So that's unfortunate because, you know, somehow they have to learn because that's really bad. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say about it, right? 
That's just not good. Uh, next article, as an ex-Uber executive heads the trial, the security community reels. Joe Sullivan was a rock star in the information security world, one of the fir uh, first federal prosecutors to work on cybercrime cases in the late 1990s. He jumped into the corporate, uh, in corporate security world in 2002, eventually taking on high-profile roles as uh, chief of security at Facebook and Uber. So it came to shock. Uh, so it came as a shock to many in the community when Sullivan was fired by Uber in 2017 and accused of mishandling a security incident the year before. Despite the scandal, Sullivan got a job as chief of security at Cloudflare, the company we just talked about, an internet infrastructure company. A lot of, uh, a lot of sitting CISOs, so chief information security officers, are going to their bosses and asking if they have DNO insurance. And if not, can, uh, can they have it? They're saying, if I'm going to be held liable for something our company does, I want legal coverage. Now, I think that is a very valid point, right? A lot of times what we're seeing with breaches and things like that is the CISO, the chief information security officer, is a lot of times on the hook for this stuff. They are kind of becoming the scapegoat in a lot of ways, either externally or they're getting just you know fired by the company internally. But a lot of times that's the person that is you know, that's the person that's on the hook, right? That eventually ends up being the one that gets blamed the most. And, you know, I think that's obviously dangerous, especially if you can't get some kind of insurance to cover that. Now we talked about, uh, it was about a couple of weeks ago about insurance and cyber, uh, cyber insurance and how that industry is kind of tightening up what they're doing. They're putting in clauses in their uh, policies so you have to do very specific things in order to be covered. That's pretty typical with insurance, right? Even with like car insurance and things like that, you can't leave your windows down and leave your keys in the car, right? Like that. I don't think an insurance company is going to cover your car if you do that. But you know, that that is a serious issue because you know, not allowing them to get insurance or some kind of protection, right? Not having some kind of way to not necessarily hold them on the hook if it's not their fault or if they've done everything that they can, they've done their due diligence. You know, that's going to make people not want to be a CISO. They're not going to want to be a chief information security officer, which is really bad because th those are the people that, you know, they are the top level security person. They are the one that's the ones that are driving the security in your organization. And you know, that, that's a serious potential issue, right? If you have no coverage and you know that you're going to be on the hook when something happens, every company gets hacked. I mean, let me be very, very clear with that. Every company has either been hacked, they are going to get hacked, or they're hacked and they don't even know it. All of those are obviously really bad. But, you know, if you're in that, that situation, right, and you know that that's the case, you know, do you really want to take that job? Why don't you just go be like an analyst or something, have way less stress, and then, you know, let, you, won't, you won't be fired just because there's a breach, right? Like it's, it's dangerous for sure. Uh, in 2016, according to a criminal complaint, Sullivan learned that hackers had secured access to the personal data of about 600,000 Uber drivers and some personal information associated with 57 million riders and drivers. Prosecutors accused Sullivan of directing those responsible to the company's bug bounty program, which Uber, like many companies, had set up. 
as a financial incentive for third parties to report its security vulnerabilities. Ultimately, uh, Uber paid the hackers, two men in their 20s, $100,000 in Bitcoin and had them sign non-disclosure agreements. Obviously, you're going to sign an NDA. According to the criminal complaint, Uber did not disclose the incident to the public, nor did it inform the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, which was investigating the company for its privacy and security practices. So I remember when this happened, and uh, that specifically is really one of the major issues, right? I mean, obviously, if a company gets hacked, you know, that's a serious deal, right? And we, we just talked about that and why that's an issue. And if you can't get coverage, you know, that all of that stuff matters, right? But the other side of the coin is you cannot cover it up, right? That's why he's in trouble, ultimately. I mean, that's, that is the major reason, right? Typically, you know, the more forthright you are with things, you know, in general, in a lot of cases, the easier any kind of punishment or backlash, you know, is going to be. It's just going to be an easier time, right? But when you try to cover it up, yeah, I mean, you're going to get discovered and then you're going to be in serious issue, uh, serious trouble, right? You're going to have a serious issue on your hands. And specifically with this, I mean, Uber has a bug bounty program for sure. Uh, I believe they're on Hacker One, which if you're not familiar with bug bounty platforms, uh, Hacker One and Bug Crowd are two of the major ones. But um, so they're on one of them. I can't remember specifically which one it is. But um, so they have this program and then basically a bug bounty program. If you don't know what it is, it's a company will host a program. They'll put restrictions in place and they'll say, you know, basically we want the crowd, the uh, researchers out there on the internet, we're going to going to allow you to follow these rules and try to find vulnerabilities in our system. And then if you find something, we'll pay you. That's basically how it works. Um, and you have to submit you know, a, a report, how you found it, how you did it. it has to be recreatable. Like all this stuff you know, has to happen. But, um, and it, it's basically, it's a cheaper way to, um, uh, or a less expensive way to uh, find vulnerabilities in your code and your websites and your applications, you know, anything like that, uh, your products, whatever. So, you know, that that's the real reason that this guy is really in a lot of trouble is because he tried to cover it up. I mean, that's like the worst thing that you can do. And especially because it impacts so many people and, you know, so many people use Uber and, you know, it's just really, really bad. You can't do that. You cannot get hacked and try to cover it up because eventually you're going to get found out anyways. Typically, you know, especially in that kind of situation, if you pay somebody like this, how they paid the two people, you know, they're probably going to tell people, right? <laughs> it's just, it's how it is, right? Um, I mean, they sign non-disclosure agreements, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how NDAs work if it's like something breaking the law, right? Like in this case, because technically they're hiding it and trying to cover it up. And so I guess technically that's uh, apparently breaking the law. You know, so I don't, I don't know how that would work, right? I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so, but I'd be interested if somebody knows how that would work. But um, you can't cover it up. That's just so bad. And you're going to get in trouble. You're going to, you're going to, his life is not going to be good, right? It's not going to be good. So. Keep that in mind. Next article after cyber attacks, Finland to award company cybersecurity grants. Cybersecurity in Finland has been affected by geopolitical developments connected to Russia and the invasion of Ukraine. With the Scandinavian nation in the process of entering the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, 
Finland has suffered cyber attacks, including a denial of service, a DOS attack uh, that targeted the Finnish parliament on August 9th, 2022, temporarily disabling the organization's website. To defend against future incidents and in uh, critical sectors across Finland, the government will begin distributing vouchers for cybersecurity improvements to Finnish businesses. Vouchers totaling up to 15,000 euros for small to mid-sized businesses and nonprofits and up to 100,000 euros for large corporations could be awarded to help organizations bolster their cyber defense programs, according to the Wall Street Journal. Rather than focusing solely on cyber technology, Sean Serber, RVP Solutions Architecture and Strategy at Tanium, suggests that companies should prioritize cybersecurity training without uh, significant Without sufficient training for their cybersecurity staff, companies, especially small companies, won't get the value of improved tooling that, they ex- that they're expecting. Whereas improved training on cybersecurity essentials and how to use the tools that they, have are, that they already have in place stands to provide greater long-term benefit, he said. So, you know, absolutely. One of the things that we, we've kind of started to fall into in a lot of cases is that thinking more tools is better right? There's organizations that will go out there and get every tool that they can find, right? Every security tool, doesn't matter the cost, they'll just get everything, right? And a lot of cases, the tools that you have aren't even configured optimally, right? They maybe are missing certain things, maybe you're using like regular expressions, and it's not searching correctly for everything that it should be. You know, there's all kinds of issues. And why is that? Well, a lot of that comes down to training and knowing what to look for and how to find things, right? So training is at the core, right? People are at the core. The better trained that people are, the more that they know, the more that they know how to find things and, you know, overall in cybersecurity, the better off you'll be because they can can make sure your tools are optimally configured and get the max value out of those tools. Then if you get a new tool, then you can configure that and configure that to the maximum value. And so it's kind of one of those things, right? Like you have to have people trained to you and then they use the tools, they get training on the tools specifically how to do those other things that they were trained to do. That's huge. And so definitely, you know, just creating a ton of tools or kind of technologies isn't always the right solution. And that's something that you should consider in your company and your job and your career is that, you know, maybe a tool is not the solution. Maybe it's a process. Maybe it's training. Maybe it's just awareness, right? Like there there are so many things that are non-technical that it could potentially be. Obviously it could be technology because tools have their their downfalls. Every tool has a uh, has pros and cons to it. And some tools can't do certain things. Totally get it, right? Like that's a thing. But you just have to, you know, make sure that your people are trained. And we've seen a lot in organizations too that not all organizations will give people budgets to go get training or take them to training, send them to training, whatever, right? And especially in cybersecurity in a technology-related field where you're securing things and you have to be, uh, you have to be current, right? If you're not getting the training to stay current and the information to stay current, then you're going to be falling behind and you're going to hurt, you're going to hurt the organization in the sense that you can't fully help them to the maximum that you could bring, right? As far as value. And you can't fully configure the tools. You can't, you know, you don't know the latest attacks and the latest things that you need to do. And so all of that matters. 
And I really want you to think about that when you're thinking about budgeting, when you're thinking about, you know, training, if you get into a management position, into a director position, into an executive position, whatever, right? You know, you have to think about training and training is really, really important. And a lot of cases training should come before tools, right? It depends on what it is. Cause if you have no tools, then, you know, obviously you need a certain amount of training, but um, you do need tools with, you know, with the skill set. But, um, you know, again, a lot of times training can come before getting a ton of new tools. So keep, keep that in mind. Uh, C said a formally solicit industry feedback on cybersecurity incident reporting rules. Federal, federal cyber officials will formally ask industry leaders in the next couple of days to help shape the regulatory structure for cybersecurity incident reporting. Uh, Jen Easterly, director of the Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, uh, Securities, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, said Wednesday, the incident reporting framework follows the new law that President Biden signed in March, so this is U.S.-centric, uh, requiring that uh, critical infrastructure owners and operators to report major cyber attacks to CISA within 72 hours and ransomware attacks within 24 hours. CISA has said that it will make uh, that it will use the reports to rapidly deploy resources to victims under attack and share information with network defenders. Easterly, who spent four years working on the cyber defense at Morgan Stanley prior to coming to CISA, emphasized that she wants to work with industry to create a smart regulatory apparatus that doesn't create problems for the private sector. So a lot of times when a government tries to do something, you know, it's, it's a balancing act, right? Because a lot of times, you know, they either don't go far enough or they go too far. And it's not because in a lot of cases they're trying to do one of those extremes, but it just, it happens. It's very hard to do something for the masses, right? And, um, you know, so depending on your government, depending on your, your country, uh, some are more likely to go towards one extreme than the other, you know, just saying. But uh, for the U.S., this is great as far as being able to share information. Uh, we are starting to see some more of this kind of government intervention or government organizations kind of trying to coordinate things. Uh, we've seen in other countries like uh, India, for instance, they had some kind of similar-ish things. I mean, it's different, but they have the same kind of idea where you know they're trying to get reporting a lot quicker from organizations on attacks. And, you know, one thing to keep in mind is attacks are pretty hard to uh, identify, especially very quickly, because a lot of times, you know, you could be just seeing an attack, but maybe you were actually infiltrated, you know, eight, nine months ago, right? Like that's a thing. And, you know, so it's always a balancing act as far as the requirement, the reporting requirement, because anytime you're going to be a government and you're going to implement requirements, People are going to push back because, you know, that's extra work that forces change. It's not always good. It's not always easy. And, you know, that, that's something to consider. But uh, in India, you know, what I do know is that everybody pushed back and that kind of got retracted pretty quickly, right? Uh, it basically went up to the, the, um, the due date when it was going to launch and get implemented. And they pulled it back because so many companies were fighting it, right? And companies were threatening to pull out of the country too. And so, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's an important thing to consider and think about because this is along those same lines. It's not as 
restrictive, right? The the one in India was pretty, um, it was pretty aggressive. <laughs> but um, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of how uh, the response is to this, the reaction, because you know companies could be on board. I mean, even with this, with that kind of 72-hour window or 24 hours for ransomware, I mean, you're going to get pushback no matter what. So, But we'll see if it's as aggressive pushback as we saw in India. But um, you know, I think that being able to share information across the industry, across the country is a positive thing because you know, other companies that are in the same industry or susceptible to the same thing you know, can benefit from that. But also, too, I mean, when companies get hacked, it's very hard and difficult for us to even get them to acknowledge those kind of attacks, right? We see companies taking weeks and weeks and weeks of denial to finally come out and say, yes, okay, we got attacked. Now, so that's kind of an issue too. We don't have a lot of companies that are willing to come forward upfront, right? Maybe because this is going to go to the government specifically and the specific agency, maybe that will be different because it's going to be protected, right? It's going to be confidential. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I bet there's going to be some pushback to this. We'll have to kind of see you know, what, uh, what happens with this and, you know, we'll see. All right. Let's see here. So a uh, half of firms report supply chain ransomware compromise over half 52% of global organizations know a partner has been compromised by ransomware yet few are doing anything to improve the security of their supply chain. According to trim micro security vendor pulled around 300,000 IT decision makers across 26 countries. 90% of global IT leaders believe that their partners and customers are making their own organization a more attractive ransomware target. That might be down uh, in part due due to the fact that small businesses compromise a significant chunk of the supply chain for 52% of respondents. However, despite their concerns, less than half, 47% of respondents said that uh, that they share knowledge about ransomware attacks with their suppliers, while a quarter, so only 25%, claim they don't share potentially useful threat information with partners. So supply chain in general is a huge issue, right? For a lot of reasons, right? Code reuse and uh, security of products, where they get their products from uh, as far as where your third party gets their products. So they're, it's that fourth party or whatever, right? But um, who they get parts from. And so it's a big issue, right? And a lot of times, you know, especially in private kind of private sector companies, you know, sometimes you'll have vendors that have accounts or connections into your internal network for various reasons. Troubleshooting, maybe they are managing things. Maybe you have a service provider that is, you know, managing some of your infrastructure or whatever the case is, right? So that's a serious issue because that is a pipe into your network, right? That's just like having a trusted insider on your network. And you have to be very, very careful with what kind of permissions and capabilities that you give those other organizations and, you know, how their security directly impacts you, right? So if they're connected directly into your network, you know, that impacts you directly. Uh, When they get into the network, do they have access to all your critical servers or to critical servers, critical data, whatever, right? And so you just have to really be cognizant and aware of that. 
because if you're not and you kind of just are like, okay, here's an account, you have domain admin or something, <laughs> you know, I don't know, but you just, you have to be careful because that can be a serious issue. And just because they're a trusted partner, we're not talking about them exfiltrating data, right? We're actually talking about them just, just being uh, compromised themselves and their networks that are connected to yours and then being able to tra uh, traverse that pipe or traverse that connection, however that is, if that's a phys uh, physically handing you products or actually connected, right? You know, whatever that case is, you have to be aware of that and you have to be very cautious with what you allow. You know, it's just like an internal user where we don't really grant everybody just blanket domain admin anymore or blanket local administrator anymore because there's serious issues with that. And just like, you know, that certain circumstance, that situation, you have to be careful with your third parties. You have to be really careful actually with them because, you know, they, you know, they probably need different accesses than a lot of your internal end users, just your normal standard, standard users. So especially depending on what they're accessing, right? And you just, you have to be careful. It's, there's a lot of potential where, you know, some bad things can happen if you're, if you're not paying attention and you just kind of try to take the easy route as far as giving them access. So you really have to think that process and that workflow out revoke access when they leave, uh, when they're, you know, their, uh, partnership is done and, you know, you, you just have to be careful, right? So with that being said, that's going to be the last article for this week. Again, this was your threat Intel briefing for September 4th, 2022 through September 10th, 2022. I am your host, John Good. If you're watching on YouTube, I appreciate it. Make sure to leave a like comment and subscribe. That way you get future content when it comes out. And if you want to see something different, if you like what we're doing, uh, all that good stuff is useful in the comments. And, um, you know, even if it's not for threat Intel briefings or anything like that, if you want to see something completely, you know, different, like a tutorial or something like that, you know, definitely throw that in there. And when I get enough interest on things, then I definitely throw it on the list and make videos on it. So it's great. Um, but also if you are uh, listening on podcast podcasting platform, because we're available on all the podcasting platforms. So Spotify, iTunes, and several others. Same thing. Make sure to subscribe, leave, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. If you enjoy the show, if you want to hear about different things and uh, all those good kind of things, check out the description for show notes on podcasting platforms and YouTube, because I will leave a link to all the articles that we covered as well as others. And again, it's going to be on my website, johngood.com, where the, the show notes will be located if you want to just go there, but uh, I will leave a link in the description for you. But with that being said, I want to thank you for joining me and I hope you had a great week and I hope you have a great rest of your weekend and I will see you next time. See you later.